Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hi, I'm Heather Bell, a managing editor with ETF.com, and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays, a weekly podcast where we discuss what's going on in the ETF space. I'm joined by my longtime colleague, Samit Roy, ETF.com senior ETF analyst. Hey, Samit. Hey, Heather. Hey, everyone. We also have former ETF.com CEO Matt Hogan joining us today. Matt is currently the chief investment officer of Bitwise Asset Management. Bitwise is one of the firms waiting for the SEC to approve their proposed physical Bitcoin ETF. Hey, Matt. Hey, Heather. Hey, Samit. It's great to be on the show. So, of course, I wanted to kick off with the big question. Where do we stand with the possibility for a spot Bitcoin ETF being approved at the moment? Like, how close are we to that holy grail of ETFs? Oh, you know, Rick Edelman has the best quote about this. He says uh, he thinks we're six to 12 months away from getting a spot Bitcoin ETF approved. And he's thought that for the past seven years. Look, I think... Uh, what we've seen out of the SEC is it's going to be a very difficult short-term pathway to get a spot Bitcoin ETF approved. They disapproved both our application and Grayscale's application in July, which I felt were the two most robust applications. Grayscale had something like 7,000 public comments in support of theirs. We submitted over 140 pages of novel academic research in support of theirs. I don't know that there's an easy pathway to approval at this point. I do think, of course, it's still a matter of when and not if, but I don't feel like that when is measured in a handful of months at this point. I think it's probably further out and a little bit trickier than that. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Matt. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. But I kind of want to zoom out and talk about the crypto market more broadly. Obviously, prices have been absolutely crushed this year. I want to ask you two things related to that. One, are you disappointed that Bitcoin in particular hasn't acted more like a safe haven? And two, are we in a crypto winter? And if so, how long can that last? Great questions to me. The first thing I would say is that I think, and this is not a popular narrative, but I think the data suggests that Bitcoin performed spectacularly well as a hedge against future inflation. And I know that runs counter to the narrative that everyone sees because we're seeing CPIs at eight or 9% and we're seeing Bitcoin prices down 50%. But if you actually looked at what happened to Bitcoin's price from the start of the COVID pandemic through November of 21, Bitcoin's price rose almost 20 fold. And that was a period of unprecedented quantitative easing, unprecedented fiscal stimulus, it was the economic decisions that the government made between March of 2020 and November of 2021 that created the inflationary conditions we're experiencing today. And as those inflationary pressures were building, Bitcoin's price rose sharply. What happened in November was that was the, when we got the Fed minutes released that said it was concerned about inflation. It no longer thought it was transitory and it was going to start to pivot toward tightening rates. 
And what happened? Bitcoin's price fell. Why did it fall? Because the Fed was taking responsibility for inflation and was signaling that it was going to take dramatic steps down the road to rein it in. And so I actually think it's done exactly what you would want it to do, which is when inflation expectations are building, when there's a risk of runaway inflation, it performed well. And now that those have been receding, it's pulled back. I think Bitcoin is telling the market that inflation will not be here uh, over the long term if the Fed stays on its current path. All that said, it has disappointed investors who thought it was a safe haven asset. I think those investors had the wrong impression. It's an emerging safe haven asset. At this point, it is still a risky asset, and anyone investing in it should recognize that. No, that, that makes a ton of sense, Matt. When we talk about inflation hedges, we have to talk about you know, what time period we're looking at, right? If you want a very stable type of safe haven, obviously look at treasury inflation protected securities or something. When we're talking about Bitcoin and gold, these are obviously volatile assets that are not very stable like treasuries. So I, I kind of want to go back to that point, though, Matt, about, you know, crypto winter. We hear that phrase a lot. Is there anything to that? Is a crypto winter something that can last years and years? Because I know in prior cycles, when Bitcoin prices have gone down, they've stayed down for quite a while. Do you expect that or do you think there could be a quicker turnaround this time around? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there'll be a quicker turnaround, but I still do think we're in a bit of a crypto winter. So I'm going to straddle the line there. The reason I think there'll be a quicker turnaround is that there are uh, more participants in crypto today than there were a handful of years ago. There are more diverse participants and there's more venture capital money and engineering talent in the crypto ecosystem by a factor of 10 versus any past bear market, by a factor of 100 if you're looking back at you know the mid-2010s. So you have all this excess money and energy applied to crypto, which means we're going to get breakthrough innovations faster. And therefore, I think we'll recover faster out of this winter than we had in the past. But make no mistake, prices are down substantially. Uh, this is part and parcel of what happens in crypto. You, you know that very well, Samit. And um, I still think there's a patch of uncertainty that could last for a good part of this year. Uh, I do think on the other side of that is a massive breakthrough bull market. I think we're approaching the point where crypto really does go mainstream. And I think uh, the scale of that uh, potential up move is, is understated. But I still think, you know, it could be a few more months while we work through some of the issues and uncertainty here. I don't think we're 100 percent out of the woods. One of the things I've been seeing in the articles I've been reading and things like that is all these references to the Ethereum merge. Could you talk about that maybe a little bit? Because to me, it just kind of sounds like uh, Ethereum is going to ascend to another plane or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's not far from the truth, Heather. To set the stage, every crypto asset has two parts. It has the asset, Ethereum, and then the underlying blockchain, the Ethereum blockchain, or the asset, Bitcoin, and the underlying blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain. Those blockchains are just pieces of software. And like any piece of software, they get upgraded over time, right? It's like going from one generation of Windows or Apple iOS to the next. The Ethereum blockchain is going through a major upgrade on or around September 15th, which as you said, is called the merge. The upgrade in this sense is replacing the core engine of Ethereum, what's called the consensus mechanism, from something called proof of work to proof of stake. We don't need to go into the technical details of what it means, 
but what it means for Ethereum, the blockchain and Ethereum, the asset are three really big things. The first thing it means is that the Ethereum blockchain's carbon consumption is going to fall by 99%. And I'm sure you both know there's been a lot of talk and some concern about the environmental footprint of crypto assets and crypto blockchains. And this is an example of a blockchain evolving to reduce its carbon footprint 99%. The second thing it's going to do is it's going to reduce the amount of new Ethereum that's created every year by about 75%. If you wanna make an analogy to that, imagine if the amount of gold being mined next year was going to fall 75%. That's the new world we're moving into with Ethereum. And then the third thing it's going to do is it's going to allow long-term investors in Ethereum the opportunity to stake their asset and gain, earn a yield that we estimate will be somewhere between five and 10%. If you think about those three things together, massively cutting the carbon footprint, massively cutting new supply, and introducing the ability to earn a yield for long-term investors, that's a pretty big game changer for Ethereum. I think it's attracting a lot of institutional asset uh, interest. I think it's attracting a lot of financial advisor interest. And I think it's probably the biggest story in crypto this year, and it's, it's coming up in September. That all sounds super bullish, Matt, for Ether, the asset. But obviously, Ether, their ETFs, either spot or futures based, aren't available in the US yet. What options do investors have to get exposure to Ether, the asset? The great question. And that's exactly right. There's not even an, an ETH futures ETF uh, in the US, like there's a Bitcoin futures ETF. So you have a couple different choices. Uh, if you're a retail investor, you can go to a retail platform like Coinbase and simply buy Ethereum like you would buy Bitcoin. That has relatively high costs and it has imperfect security guarantees, but it's not a bad solution if you're investing a little bit of money, a few hundred or thousands of dollars. If you're investing more than that, uh, you either want to work directly with a custodian to gain access, or you want to work with a crypto fund provider. Bitwise, but also other providers have funds that help investors gain exposure to Ethereum. They're usually limited to accredited investors. And those are good options too. Those are two of the options, there are other ways, but I, I think that's really how it would go. If you're a retail investor, use a retail platform, knowing that there are higher costs and some uh, lower security guarantees. If you're an advisor, uh, either reach out to a custodian if you're very large or reach out to a fund provider like Bitwise to help gain exposure to an Ethereum fund that handles things like, like custody and trading and other, other aspects. Great. Now, obviously the merge is super exciting, Matt. But another part of the Ethereum ecosystem that's really exciting as well are NFTs. And these were obviously really hyped up areas of crypto, especially last year. We saw profile pictures, digital art, things like that, going for hundreds of thousands of dollars a pop. What's going on with NFTs today? And do you expect use cases for the technology to begin to expand outside of collectibles anytime soon? Yeah, I absolutely do. It's a great question. I think NFTs are arguably the most significant technological breakthrough that crypto enables. And I know that sounds goofy because when most people hear NFTs, they think of pictures of digital apes that are selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And those are maybe goofy. But what an NFT really is, is it's a uh, tool to create digital property. And digital property is a really big idea. And I think in the next two or three years, you're gonna see a lot of mainstream applications of NFTs 
that change big chunks of how society works. So I'll give you an example right now. You know, everyone loves music. And one thing that people love about music is discovering new bands. And if Heather discovers a great new band, she's going to get social credibility by telling her friends about this band before anyone else has heard of it. You know, I saw Radiohead at a Scottish pub in the 1980s or something. It makes you cool. But in the future, and actually even today, you're going to be able to uh, buy the streaming rights or a portion of the streaming rights to individual songs directly from artists. Uh, their platforms, royal.io is one, where you can go and you can uh, buy an NFT that gives you a portion of the streaming royalties for songs from Grammy award-winning artists. It's completely different from the way the music industry works today, where an artist will sell their musical rights to Sony and Sony will then try to uh, extract profits from it. In this case, the artist will be able to sell their musical rights on a fractionalized basis directly to fans. And it dramatically increases the relationship between musicians and fans. It cuts out the musical middlemen that, that artists tend to hate. I think this is going to happen in a major way in the next few years. And that's just one tiny example. There are literally hundreds of other examples of how this idea of NFTs are going to change the way we do commerce. And um, I suspect by 2025, uh, most Americans will be familiar with NFTs as a major technological breakthrough. Matt, we know I'm not that cool, but thanks. Um, I appreciate that. So I've been thinking of the metaverse as sort of Narnia meets the Matrix. And I've seen it like described almost as a potential alternative reality. Is that accurate or are people over dramatizing it? <laughs> I think that's largely accurate. Look, I like to say two things about the metaverse, and we have a metaverse crypto fund uh, that's, the, that's the first of its time that holds metaverse and crypto assets. Uh, the two things that are important to understand about the metaverse is that it's really early. It's so much earlier than almost all other technologies. Sumit, you were talking about NFTs. There are a lot of people who own NFTs who participate in the NFT ecosystem. There are many more people who do that than who don VR goggles on a daily basis and enter an immersive digital world. We are still years away from this integrative, immersive metaverse, this Narnia matrix, uh, as you described it, Heather. I think we're going to get there. I think the trends are in place. I think it's going to be huge, but you should recognize it's very early. The other thing I think say about the metaverse is that it's a sliding scale. It's not like you'll wake up one day and plug into the metaverse and never leave it. We're already in dribs and drabs entering the metaverse. Zoom meetings are sort of a, uh, a gateway drug to the metaverse, right? We're operating more in a digital world than we have in the past. And, and that's a trend that's here now and accelerating. And I think people who get excited about the metaverse and investing in the metaverse are sort of betting that those early precursors will continue to grow and will evolve into the Ready Player One version of the metaverse some point in the future. But it's uh, it's still a ways away. We're tiptoeing towards it. It's very exciting, but it's very, very early. Absolutely, Matt. So metaverse, NFTs, these are all super exciting things. I kind of want to zoom out and talk about something that's a little more boring, but pretty important for investors. And that is, how does crypto fit into investors' portfolios? Have you done research on how crypto impacts the returns of a diversified portfolio and uh, what percentage of a portfolio 
should be allocated to crypto, I should say. Yeah, absolutely, Sumit. We have, a, we have a white paper on this that you can download from bitwiseinvestments.com. What our studies show is that having a small allocation to crypto for nearly all investors, 10% or less, and for most investors, somewhere in the 25 to 5% range, has historically had a very strong effect on both absolute and risk-adjusted returns. In fact, uh, there's never been a three-year period in crypto's history where adding a small amount of crypto to a portfolio and rebalancing hasn't boosted your risk-adjusted returns. And historically, it's had an outsized effect because it's the best performing asset class in the world over the last 10 years, and it has low long-term correlations to stocks. So we think a lot of investors can benefit from those allocations. The, the key factors are you have to be long-term allocated. Crypto can be very volatile in the short term. Since Bitwise was founded five years ago, there have been five 50% drawdowns, even though crypto is the best performing asset class in the world over the last five years. So you have to be long-term oriented. You have to size your position appropriately. The average Bitwise investor, which is a financial advisor, has 2.5% of client assets in in crypto, something around that line. And you have to rebalance. A lot of people forget that last one. If you do a portfolio modeling of crypto without rebalancing, you end up with a very volatile portfolio indeed. But if you add rebalancing like you would with any other asset, it's historically been almost like magic pixie dust for portfolios. That doesn't of course mean it will be in the future. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. We can talk about the limitations of available data and whether the nature of crypto market returns are changing. But historically, it has been a great way to boost a portfolio's risk-adjusted return. And I think it's an interesting asymmetric asset to add to a portfolio for many investors. And Matt, as you're well aware, our audience here at ETF.com are used to investing in indexes and things like that. Are indexes going to be the way that people invest in crypto in the future? And if so, does market cap weighting make sense when Bitcoin and Ether represent such a huge portion of the current crypto market cap? Yes and yes. So I absolutely strongly think that for most investors, a regularly rebalanced market cap weighted index is the single best way to allocate to the crypto market. The reason I think that is that the bet people are making when they invest in crypto is that it will be more important in the future than it is today. That blockchain technology and public blockchains are an important technological breakthrough with big implications, and they think it's going to grow over the next five, 10 years. If that's the bet you want to make, you need a uncapped market cap weighted index, because that way you'll always be exposed to the assets that people say are valuable. And if the total market capitalization of the crypto market goes from 1 trillion to 10 trillion, you'll roughly 10x your money. If you deviate away from that by buying a single asset, say just Bitcoin, or by buying a non-market cap weighted portfolio, like an equal weighted portfolio, you're making an active bet that could be wrong. It's a little bit like in the early days of the internet. Yes, would it be best if you had just bought Google and Facebook? Absolutely. But was it obvious at the time that just Google and Facebook would be the winners? Absolutely not. It's generally better in these high potential markets to be generally right as opposed to precisely wrong. And the best way to be generally right is in a market cap weighted crypto index fund. I'm talking my book here because that's, you know, Bitwise is the leader in that space, but I also organically believe it's true.
Well, Matt, we're going to have to end it there. It's been great to chat with you, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Love all the work you continue to do at ETF.com. I'm a, a regular reader and, and listener, so thanks for having me on. Thank you. That was really good to hear. Listeners, we appreciate you tuning in. Please join us next week for another episode of Exchange Traded Fridays. If you want to listen to older episodes, the podcast is available on ETF.com, all major podcast platforms. Have a great weekend. Lucky Land Slots, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.